Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 208. Today's topic is Bernie's Green New Deal, part 11. So we've been slogging through this thing. Actually, it's not a slog. It's pretty fun. But don't get bored because we are talking policy and we have to talk policy because we can no longer leave policy to the politicians. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So let's get into this. We are talking about research and development. So the main thing about research and development is that most research and development spending is dedicated to the economy of death. Uh, Most uh, research and development spending is dedicated to the war machine. We have what I call trickle-down technology. We plow a bunch of money into the war machine so that the rich can get richer and so that the people of color all around the world who are on the wrong side of American bombs can uh, you know, lose their lives. Their, uh, and if they don't lose their lives, they lose their community and they lose their, the environmental health of where they are. They lose their privacy. They lose their, uh, their freedom all because of we're plowing all this money into research and development for the sake of the death economy instead of we need to put research and development money into the life economy. We can dedicate our research and development dollars in life-giving activities. Life-giving activities include solar power generation, wind power generation, a state-of-the-art electric grid, mass transit, and building energy efficiency retrofitting. Life-giving activities can also include um, native plant, uh, ecological landscaping, ecological forestry, ecological food production, cooperative ownership of, uh, of groceries, and cooperative ownership of food cooperatives and food distribution systems. Those are life-giving activities, and our research and development spending could be dedicated to those things, but instead our research and development spending is dedicated to the death economy. No disrespect to people who serve in the military, but most people who serve in the military do so because they needed a job, and they needed benefits, and then they're in, in, you know, so, but that that's another conversation, but we have a chance to spend our research and development dollars on life-affirming activities instead of the military, which deprives many people of life, liberty, and health. So let's look at paragraph C of this As president, Bernie will do these things related to research and development. A was dramatically decrease the cost of energy storage. B was invest in decarbonizing shipping and aviation industries as soon as possible. And C is establish a nationwide materials recycling 
program. So when I saw the word recycling, I was that was it's a little bit of a red flag to me because you know this may be controversial or maybe not. It may surprise you or maybe not. But I am not terribly. I'm not enthralled with recycling. I think it is. Um, it is. I think it is at best a displacement activity. Or the best thing you can say about recycling is that it is well intentioned. Or is it? You know, when people spend their time and energy recycling things, how much good does that do? How efficient is the re- process of recycling? Does it not also take up energy? And is it not maybe a polluting process to spend all this energy trying to recycle materials? So, and another thing about recycling is you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. We need to reuse more. Uh, recycling as it currently is, is voluntary. It's voluntary. We need recycling that is um, where, you know, when I was growing up, you could return a bottle for deposit. When uh, soft drinks were 15 cents, you could the return the bottle to the store for a nickel. And when soft drinks became 25 cents, you could return the bottle to the store for a dime. And then after that, the anti the, the, the bottling lobbyists became powerful enough. Coke and Pepsi and all of their bottlers and distributors became powerful enough to where, well, hey, guess what? We're not going to have laws anymore that require people to return the bottle for deposit. We need to bring back laws that require people to return the bottle for deposit. I mean, let's say it's a water bottle or it's a um, it's a Coke bottle. It's a plastic water bottle, plastic Coke bottle. Why should we not get a dollar for returning that or at least 50 cents? Why should you not get 50 cents or a dollar for returning that? And, you know, we need, it would make the Coke and Pepsi less profitable and Nestle, uh, but, and we need to make those companies less profitable. Repeat, we need to make those companies less profitable. Why? Because they do not pay the true cost of what they do. So we need to, for one thing, we need to dramatically reduce single-use plastics because there's lots and lots and lots and lots of plastic building up in the ocean. Uh, By 2050, there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean. We need to put an end to that, and one way of greatly reducing the amount of plastic that flows into the ocean is to reduce the amount. In, in some respects, we need to make single-use plastic illegal. In some other instances, we need to say, okay, I don't care if it's single-use plastic or what it is. If you have to, you if you're the grocery or if you're the bottler, you have to pay people money to return this back to you. So now let's read this paragraph here that relates to recycling. 
we're going to establish a nationwide materials recycling program. During World War II, Americans recycled metal and other materials that went toward making planes, ships, and equipment necessary to fight and win the war. We must do the same to win the fight against climate change. To prevent an outsized impact on the environment from harvesting raw materials, we must build the wind turbines, solar panels, new cars, and batteries we need with as many recycled materials as possible. We will establish a take-back program to require large corporations that produce goods with the materials needed for this clean energy transition to pay to take those goods back from consumers who no longer want them to establish a nationwide materials recycling program so we can use as many recycled materials as possible to build the renewable energy equipment needed to transform our energy system. We will also invest in research for less resource-intensive methods and alternatives to plastic from fossil fuels, rapidly moving away from petrochemical plastics production. So one thing it talks about doing here is having a take-back program. In other words, you have to pay people to bring stuff back to you. If you can't afford to pay people 25 cents or 50 cents or a dollar to bring this stuff back to you, then you shouldn't be in business because you are shift, you the bottlers, you Coke, you Pepsi, you Nestle. You're shifting the cost of these activities on to the public. When all of your plastic bottles end up in the streets and in the streams and in the rivers and in the oceans, there is a cost to that. And if you are not paying that cost, then you should be. And if you can't afford to pay the cost, you should not be in business. The world would be just fine without Coca-Cola. The world would be just fine without Pepsi. If you can't pay the cost of doing business, you should not be in business. Another thing that's talking about here is we will also invest in research for less resource intensive methods. So we're going to look, we're going to invest in research for less uh, intensive methods. And some of this stuff is common sense. Um, the Green New Deal, the Green Party's version of the Green New Deal talks about bioregionalism. Um, which it, it it relates to what this paragraph was saying. You know, we're, we're talking about zero waste. Uh, what does zero waste mean? Well, you can have a factory that is zero waste, or at least, you know, you can have a region that's zero waste or a town that's zero waste. We need to stop shipping our toxic waste off to other people. We need to stop allowing others to ship their toxic waste into where we are. Um, we need to explore methods of doing things better. And quite a lot of that is not high-tech stuff. You don't need scientists or engineers. You might need scientists or engineers, but some of it is common sense stuff that we need to figure out. 
we also need to move to a system of organizational structures that does not just exploit people. We need people to be able to use their brains on the job. Look at your average, you know, fast food worker or your average worker in Home Depot. I mean, they're using their brains to some extent, but you can bet that Home Depot is not going to pay anything for education unless it doesn't have to, except what it has to. So, you know, what we're talking about here is de-skilling people. We need a system that uh, values the skills of the worker and develops the skills of the worker. That's what we will have more of if we have a somewhat democratic workplace. You don't have money and time invested in developing the skills of the worker when you have a system that is entirely entirely and completely designed around the profits of the few. We have a system that is entirely and completely designed around the profits of the few. A system that is designed entirely and completely around the profits of the few is going to be a system that exploits people, that pays people as little as possible, that gives people as little as possible. You just want to use them up so you can squeeze profit out of the workers, squeeze profit out of the environment, and squeeze profit out of the government. It doesn't have to be that way. We need more democracy in the workplace, and that way workers will use their brains and not just have the life squeezed out of them by work that is overly specialized. Now let's go on to the next paragraph. Paragraph D says, We're going to reassert U.S. leadership in research and engineering by marshalling resources across the federal government and institutions of higher education, including the National Academy of Engineering and National Science Foundation. The U.S. has an obligation and an economic opportunity to be a leader in developing and deploying the clean technological solutions that will solve climate change. Research and development in the challenges of the cost of storage and electric vehicles of and of decarbonizing industry, aviation, and shipping could put the U.S. back in a position of leadership around the world. So this paragraph is basically summarizing what we've been talking about. We're going to, you know, in, in put research, put money into research and development so that we can have better battery storage, we can decarbonize aviation and shipping, and we can uh, create zero waste systems because, hey, guess what? That's what we need. A system that is not zero waste is a system that's going to pollute something somewhere, and then somebody is going to have to pay the cost of that pollution, quite often in terms of their health and sometimes their life. Now let's go to the next item, which is item 18 in 
my handy-dandy numbered list, numbered version of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So what we're doing here is we're reading through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, paragraph by paragraph, and item by item we're seeing what it says. We know we need a Green New Deal, and this is a very well-written, thorough, organized, and methodical document. So paragraph 18 says we're going to use the power of international leadership. Imagine that. Imagine using the power of international leadership in a way that is not tied to death and destruction, which is what our military is. It is death and destruction. Most Americans do not want our military to be the first thing we think about when it comes to resolving international disputes. Most of our international disputes are imagined. Most of our international disputes are not real. So, let's get into this. I was talking about, we're talking about using the power of international leadership. The Paris Climate Agreement, which was signed by 175 parties, brought the world together in saying that climate change is real and is caused by human activity and that we have all and that we all have a responsibility for taking action to solve it. The agreement was not perfect, however. Even if every nation met the agreement, it would still allow three degrees Celsius of warming, which would destroy island nations and the people least responsible for the climate crisis. The UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a report last year, issued a a dire warning to the world. We have no time left to come together as a global force and aggressively reduce our carbon pollution emissions. It also made a strong case for limiting warming at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius if we hope to continue to have a habitable planet. So let's go back to the top of this paragraph and see what it says. So, you know, the Paris uh, Agreement was this whole big thing. It was signed in 2015. And, you know, and then Trump pulls out of it. And I'm not going to criticize Trump. He's a symptom. He is a symptom of a corrupt system. If the Democrats wanted uh, Trump to not win, they should have given us somebody better than Hillary Clinton. But... The main point here is that we need to get back into the Paris Agreement and not just comply, but we need to take it to the next level. That's, you know, we're saying here we need to use the power of international leadership. We are the strongest country in the world. We're the richest country in the world. We're the richest country in world history. We can use our power for good or allow our power to be used for evil. Let us choose to use United States power for good. And we need to keep global warming to below 1.5 degrees Celsius, if at all possible. 
it, the 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 problems that we have are already catastrophic. The damage that we have is already catastrophic. And much of the warming is already baked in. We could stop emitting carbon today. And the carbon that is in the atmosphere would continue to warm the atmosphere even if we stopped emitting carbon today. That's why we don't have time. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It is the fault of the oligarchs. It's the fault of that murderous fraction of a percent of the population that has all the money and all the power, and they have the power to make war when war is the last thing we need. They have the power to clear the Amazon when that's the last thing we need. They have the power to deforest North America when that's the last thing we need. They have the power to give power to the big banks when that's the last thing that we need. So, we in the United States need to use our power for good instead of letting our power be used for ill. Continuing to read, As president, Bernie will provide strong, inclusive American leadership to not only transform our energy system, but to reach out to countries all over the world and cooperate on the global crisis of climate change. We must recognize that people from every country in the world, Russia, India, China, Japan, Brazil, are all in this together. Instead of accepting that the world's countries will spend $1.5 trillion annually on the weapons of destruction, Bernie will convene global leaders to redirect our priorities to confront our shared enemy climate change. So climate change is our shared enemy. You know, we have a few oligarchs who profit and accumulate power when you and I think that they're actually telling the, the truth when they say that Iran is a threat to us, Iraq is a threat to us, Libya is a threat to us, North Korea is a threat to us, Venezuela is a threat to us, Cuba is a threat to us. Um, that Nicaragua is a threat to us, Russia is a threat to us, China is a threat to us. These are all just bald-faced lies, and they have created a situation where, for the time being, we're temporarily mad, we're temporarily insane, and we're not able to address the real threat, which is climate change. Continuing to read, Together, we will lead the international community to keep global warming at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius. We will not only reduce U.S. carbon pollution emissions by 71%, we will support less industrialized nations in the global south, excluding China, to help them reduce emissions by 36% from 2017 levels by 2030. 
consistent with meeting our fair share of emissions reductions under the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recommendations. So, the key figure here is 71%. We will reduce United States carbon pollution by 71%, and also we will support industrialized nations in the global south to help them reduce their emissions by 36 percent compared with 2017 levels. So the reason that this is important is that collaboration and cooperation have never been as important as they are now. If we are going to solve the problem of climate change, then Collaboration and cooperation have never been more important. And yet, that's the last thing that the oligarchs and the plutocrats want us to do. The oligarchs and the plutocrats want us to think Russia is the enemy. Why do you think the, 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 the democratic press, CNN and MSNBC, why do you think they have been raving about Russia for three years now? It's Trump. Trump is the enemy and Russia is the enemy. It's, uh, it's pretty silly, but it's what we've got. And what we've got is oligarchs telling us to fear the other. Oligarchs telling us to fear people who are different from us. But actually, they're, telling, they're teaching us to fear other countries that have a mind of their own. There are about 10 countries in the world that have a mind of their own. There are about 10 countries in the world that feel like they do not have to do everything that the United States tells them to do. Those 10 countries are Russia, China, uh, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, North Korea, um, and until recently, Iraq was one of the countries that felt like it could be somewhat independent from the United States. We crushed them. Syria feels like it should be somewhat independent. We're bombing them. Libya felt like it could be somewhat independent, so we got rid of them and caused immense destruction within Libya. And that's how we operate. That's how we roll. So I've got about another minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So we need a time of unprecedented cooperation. We need to absolutely move from the death economy to the life economy. We could have a life economy if we invest in solar power and wind power and the state-of-the-art electric grid and mass transit and building energy retrofitting and ecological landscaping and ecological forestry and ecological food production and cooperative ownership of our, uh, of our groceries and our food distribution systems. That's how we solve the real problems, we need to stop allowing oligarchs and plutocrats to keep us focused on false 
threats, because if we stay focused on false threats, we will miss the opportunity to address the real threats. That's about all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net.